Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. Uh, we've seen Human Flow recently, which is the I Wee Wee, excuse me, I Wei Wei. I didn't know how to pronounce his name before. I, I never heard him say it authoritatively, but he actually says it in the documentary. Ah. So it's I Wei Wei. Um, so it's the I Wei Wei documentary about a uh, refugee crisis worldwide, um, in which he's visited refugees in a number of locations um, and shows the kind of the similarities and the differences between them. Um, I saw this on Friday a few days ago. You just saw it today. Yes. So maybe we'll start off with you because it's more fresh in your mind. Um, when I, I bought a cup of coffee, because I thought for a moment that you were coming. So I bought a cup of coffee waiting for you and I was chatting uh, to the man serving it. And he was saying, are you going to see Human Flow? And I said, yes. And he goes, oh, you know. And I said, why is it not good? And he said, oh, no, it's great. But you'll have to endure it, he said. Right. <laughs> uh, and actually, I felt that there was an element of that. It's, it's two hours and a half long, right? And it's, it's, it's misery upon misery upon misery um, that makes you feel like doing something. Actually, my overall feeling was that, um, you know, we went to see the Hanukkah yesterday and you know which is all about kind of people living in Calais and you know and and being completely immune to what's happening around them you know and then here's this film that shows you what is happening you know around all of us actually um and it's happening in all these different parts of the world and it's so cruel and unnecessary it really reminded me or it made me ask do you want to be one of those people who did nothing during the holocaust I, you know, when all these Jews were being shipped to America and England, do you want to be, you know, part of that population that didn't help, that didn't contribute, that caused death? That's the feeling that it left me with. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it, it, it gave me that feeling at the time. I can't say it's, it's um, endured particularly. I haven't really thought about it since. Oh. It's only been a few days. Um, I mean, uh, maybe it's... I was, I was... I didn't expect... I didn't know it was about more than... Uh, the Syrian refugee crisis. I thought yes. it was going to be about that. I don't know why, but I just. But um, but uh, he uh, Weiwei visits refugees in uh, Malaysia, Gaza as well. Yes, and so they're not, they're not exactly refugees, but Malaysia, Gaza, Afghanistan. Uh, he's in Greece. He's mm. in Turkey. He's in Mexico and the Mexican-U.S. border. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the hotspot refugee crisis points. He's in Hungary. Yeah. You know. But also, like, so Mexico and Gaza aren't really refugee crises, but they are they're oppressed peoples or peoples being mistreated. Well, there are people left homeless, you yeah. know, which is kind of where a refugee crisis begins, mm. right? So, um, and I, I kind of, I, I, I found it so sad, you know. Uh, and I found it particularly sad because the images were so beautiful and very potent. You know, there's an image of the oil fields burning up in Iraq, I think, uh, you know, with a cow full of soot, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, with, with very um, uh, dried up uh, uh, tits, uh, you know, kind of just walking through what looks like a deserted town as these piles of smoke, of smoke uh, flow overhead. You know, I thought it was very, like, uh, striking and telling. Uh, 
Mm. You know, there's also a corpse of a young woman mm. with her hand outstretched, you know, in the desert, uh, who's clearly been, you know, shot. And, you know, there's just a, a kind of a brutal image that somehow it almost looks beautiful. It looks like something that's done for some macabre, you know, play or opera or something, except that it's real, right? So kind of, you know, the images in the film have that, I mean, they are aestheticized. You know, they are kind of, in, in, in many ways, beautiful images of disaster. Mm. What I was given to notice was how similar the refugee camps were all over the place. Yes. Like, it kind of, um, the, the film draws a, a, a visual, uh, I guess, parallel between um, between kind of displaced peoples, no matter where they're from or where they are, um, because they all end up in the same situation, in the same, you know, kind of rows of tents. Mm. Um, these kind of mass, like there are tens of thousands of people in some of these places, um, and uh, and they're all struggling for the same things and trying to get, to, you know, trying to cross the same borders or in the same ways. And, yes. Um, uh, it, it it kind of it it actually it unites them mm. um, in a way that. It, in the media, I guess they tend not to be. It's like there's a refugee crisis here or refugee crisis here, and they feel separate. And you know, politically and in various ways, obviously they are separate. But there are uniting factors, there are commonalities between all of them. I felt, I felt kind of um, so angry, actually, specifically at the UK. You know, because it's my understanding that this country is the one that has taken in the least number. Right. I think some, something like 70,000, right. uh, you know, as opposed to the several million that have gone into Lebanon, the millions that are in Turkey, the million that Merkel accepted right, into Germany. So you have like this great worldwide humanitarian crisis to a large extent greatly caused by the UK, mm-hmm. right? And its involvement in the Iraq war, its kind of, you know, support of the US and Afghanistan, you know, these in many ways are all man-made disasters, mm. you know. And I thought it was kind of interesting that at the same time that this huge humanitarian crisis is happening, you know, we have Brexit, right? Mm. Which, you know, wants to kick out the people that are already here, much less, you know, kind of help the ones who have found themselves for reasons to a large extent caused by the UK, homeless and stateless. Mm. It it It's... I wouldn't say that it kind of made me, it transformed me into La Passionaria or something, but it did make me think of all of those things. Transformed into what? La Passionaria. She was like, you know, the communist uh, female leader who inspired, you know, the left in the Spanish Civil War. All right. Uh, I think what you say about the use of imagery is, is right, although I did feel that a lot of it was, I don't know, kind of pedestrian almost. Or Well, there's also a lot of focus on... Um, Talking heads because uh, Weiwei is going around the world interviewing people and asking them about their situation. So there's, there's not a lot of kind of creative imagery and talking to someone whose face is in front of the camera. But um, to, to an extent, I felt the film really felt like an extended sort of panorama special or something like that, like Tonight with Trevor McDonald. No, it, I don't agree. I mean, I think there were some extraordinary images. There was one of the images in a camp, I forget which one, because like you said, you know, they end up all seeming similar and, and there are so many in this film. Uh, um, but there's an amazing shot which is taken, it must have been in a balloon or something, 
Oh, the, the thing I do a lot with drone imagery, where the camera f- lowers yeah. to come down toward the ground. So, you know, you see something that looks like a cartoon, you know, and that then might look like ants in a desert. And, you know, and then the closer it gets, you actually see people running. That occurred like, to me because I thought, actually, that's what people really, really take objection to, or object to a lot, is is um, the description of, of uh, migrants as swarms. Well, that's right. You know, but, this, but then this shot... They look like ants. Actually, it's slightly sped up as well because obviously the, the camera took such a long time to descend. They sped up the shot and so the people that you see move more quickly. And again, that, that more uh, makes them resemble insects. I, I don't was... know because then the, then the... So you get that shot where they are made to seem like insects, you know, and the kids kind of running away and actually, you know, police or, you know, camp officials creating a circle around this thing to put them away. But then actually you do go onto faces. So these things that are like termites or insects from far away become people, mm. you know. And I think actually that that is one of the motifs in the film. You know, IYY is fantastic at humanizing people, you know, at kind of at talking to them on their own level, at joking with them, at yes. even, yeah. you know, even, even bargaining, right? So, you know, he's buying fruit in one of the camps and... You know, the guy selling it to him is trying to trick him with, like, have rotten fruit, and he, you know, he catches him, and they have this banter, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, it's very humanizing, because he both understands why, you know, this person would do it, you know, yeah, but absolutely. it's very careful to get his exact change back, and to make him exchange the fruit, you know, and the, and, and the seller laughs, right? So, yeah. there, are, there are lots of moments of, of human connection, of humanizing people, really. Yeah, you're right about that. Actually, it hadn't really occurred to me, but I, I was thinking. Um, I, I was wondering how, before I saw the film, how how much of a kind of uh, star almost uh, Weiwei would would be in the film. Mm. You know how much he would impose himself on it, and he shows up and he's obviously talking to people, but um, he's not in it all the time. But as you say, actually, what he does is have basically no trouble talking to people and he connects with them immediately yes. and these are people who you've been taught by the media to ignore and think of as as non-human or subhuman yes um and and he just effortlessly is just sort of saying well they're clearly they're not i'm talking to him and it's, he's so interesting because he's so quiet he's got kind of this rambling walk you know so he's he's quite fat he's got a belly right and then he's got a very quiet face like you know, he's not one of those people pleasers, I suppose, like me, really, that, you know, can't bear, like, an empty... Yeah, there's, uh, the conversations always have to be full of sound, right? No, he, he allows for silence, right? Mm. And he's calm with it, you know, and and yet he can engage kind of everybody, really. Um, and it's very sympathetic. There's, I found so many scenes so moving. There's one where a woman is talking, but you just see her back... And she signals that she just can't go on, and he goes mm. and talks to her, mm. yeah. right? There's another scene where he films a young man from a fence, and basically, you know, and the young man asks him, you know, what are you doing about this, or something like that? Is there no place we can go, you know? And, he, and he's very calm, very handsome. Uh, yeah, there are so many incidents, you know, where, where he humanizes people, really. Um, yeah, I kind of, you know, they're, they're, he films a scene with two brothers crying, right, because they've obviously gotten themselves in this mess, they can't stay home, they don't know where to go, right, and it's almost like the older brother has ruined the younger brother's life in attempting you know, this journey, mm. I found it very moving, 
you know. Uh, the scene where the um, is, I think the father of family is counting out the members of his family that he's lost. Yeah. Their photos and their ID cards yes. he's got with him, and he's just and he's going through them like they're a deck of cards. There's so many of them. Yes. So you know this, he lost five people, you know, and then he has this really like wonderful bit of dialogue where, you know, it's a kind of thing where art and magic and superstition, you know, a way of making sense of the world that is outside reason because reason can't explain what is what he's experiencing. Where he talks about, you know, how the dead come to him in dreams and, you know, and, and he can't shake them off and they tell him what to do. Mm. I thought that was all, like, kind of... It's terribly moving. Like yeah. That. So, um, and, and all very beautiful. You know, I, I can't underline that enough. So, you know, the shots of the desert are like fantastic. The shots of the sea are just beautiful. You know, so kind of amidst all this beautiful scenery, there are scenes of destruction. Mm. You know, there are scenes of like homes completely destroyed, of just kind of the shells remaining, kind of people uh, um, uh, piling up uh, furniture, that at one time they must have taken pride in because it's all full of like really ugly and excessive and a bit tacky, you know, guilt everywhere, right? <laughs> you know, uh, um, so um, I think the kind of the contrast between those things and kind of people just wanting to make a life, you really get the feeling in the film that people have just fled, right? And kind of, and actually there's a wonderful conversation with two women, well, three, you know, because they have a young girl with them, you know, one is quite elderly, like, you know, in her 60s, seemingly. The other one is maybe in her late 30s or 40s or something somewhere around that range. You know, and they were saying, well, what are your plans? And they say, well, we have no plans. Our plan was just to leave. Right, like, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, you know, so they were saying, well, the borders closed down and so on. Um, and it, it kind of it made me feel really sad because, you know, the, the film goes to some trouble to point out that the, the Human Rights Convention on Refugees was a European invention, mm -hmm. right? And that since 1986, the people create, the countries creating physical barriers around the world, which didn't exist before, has risen from 12 to 70, you know, with most of them being in Europe. Uh, and it just kind of, it made me think because, you know, it's hard to think of anybody in Europe that hasn't had an experience of migration that touches very close. You know, I mean, I know that England might be seen as an exception, but, you know, for example, a lot of kids who grew up in the Second World War kind of, you know, they all had to be packed off somewhere else, right? So lucky for them, it wasn't another country, though for some it was another country. A lot of kids were packed off to Canada and to the U.S. and so on. So, you know, to know how how tragic that is and to permit it to happen I think it's just oops sorry yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's funny I, I, that reminds me of something which is the film the film does a lot with intertitles or well not intertitles but superimposed text points a lot of it is poetry yes um, it's, it opens though with uh, the definition of refugee which I've just looked up here the definition of, of refugee as uh defined by the 1951 Refugee Convention. Mm. The quote is, 
a person who, owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion, is outside the country of his nationality and is unable, or owing to such fear, is unwilling to avail himself of the protection of that country, or who, not having a nationality and being outside the country of his former habitual residence as a result of such events, is unable, or owing to such fear, is unwilling to return to it. The film uh, contracts that slightly, but that's yeah. that's the full definition. And I thought, actually, um, that, that actually leaves out a lot of the people who are refugees being shown in this film, because what it doesn't mention is being displaced simply by war. Oh, actually, I, I think, implicit in, in it, I think it's implicit, but I think it's not actually... I mean... Like a lot of these people, a lot of these people aren't going to be persecuted just on the basis of their race, nationality, or beliefs. Although a lot are, but but a lot of them have just been moved simply because it's not safe for them and they can't survive there. Yes. as the war's taking place. And I thought actually, it seemed to be showing up. This it, this was a, a slightly out of date definition. It seemed to me. I don't know. I mean, I because also what's going to happen in the future is the environmental crisis are going to get to a point where it's displacing people because. Simply, climate change is going to mean they can't live where they live. Yes. And this is going to get worse and worse and worse. And that's... I mean, if war is implicit in that, environmental change is certainly not, not implicit in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, environmental change is very clearly made a factor in the film, mm. right? Because, you know, huge migrations in Africa are taking place because of environmental uh, change. Um, but anyway, I mean, kind of, you know... Uh, um, wh- the, whether it should have a more... Expansive notion. Um, I'm not sure. You know. Well, no, it's the film that does. I mean, that's what I mean. I think actually the definition provided by the uh, UN Convention is less expansive than the film. I think actually the film is showing up that that some ideas of what a refugee is or what what these people's status is is outdated. Mm. Well, I'm I'm not sure because you know I I actually don't remember the film making that point, right? So. Kind of, you know, what the film does is show, you know, various refugee crises from around the globe, kind of uh, how it's been pointed out by the press. So, you know, it's an issue that everybody should know about, really. So you can't claim ignorance. Like, it has been covered in almost every uh, media outlet. Uh, And then the inadequacy, really the selfishness, of, of countries' responses to it, right? So, um, you know, and the various international uh, um, committees or people involved on an international level, you know, who are doing what they can to help but are being frustrated from helping in the ways that they could, yeah. right? The prime instance here being Hungary building a wall, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, and also uh, the film highlights the politicking around it. So you know, the deal made with Turkey and the EU, you know, that involves transfers of money, but what it excludes is actually, you know, none the refugees themselves, really. That's what it excludes. So, yeah, well, that, that deals along the lines of we'll take so many if we can have free movement of our people to Europe or something like That's that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, we will, we will accept $6 billion right. in exchange for several million of our people, you know, having entry to Europe. But in the meantime, yeah. you know, the refugees are in a camp. So, you know, they just agreed to keep the refugees in the camp while their own people get, mm. you know, uh, yeah. migrant status in Europe. That was my understanding of it at any rate. Um, Vaguely, there's, there's a lot of detail in that. You know, there's a lot of, um, I mean, the, the, the numbers kind of 
they start to wash over you for a while. The number of people kept in various camps and um, yeah, the, these numbers are vast. Yes. They're, in the, they're in the tens of thousands, sometimes the hundreds of thousands. And and at one point, is it is it? Oh God, I can't. I can't. Is it Lebanon? Maybe where the guys talking about there are one point six million. Yeah. A third of the population in Lebanon is now made up of refugees, mm. right? So, I mean, the situation in Lebanon is dire. The situation in Turkey, the situation in Greece. I mean, all of those countries that have, you know, for one reason or another, and, may, and often in spite of the, their own wishes, you know, have uh, been landed uh, with all of these people uh, in their shores. And I think kind of, you know, the international community should really be ashamed of themselves, really. Um, and this, the risks of not doing something about that is one of the things that the film highlights very clearly as well, mm. right? Kind of these, these kids aren't being educated, they aren't going to school. You know, you just see a young boy reading the Quran, right? They have nowhere to go and they have nothing to do except, you know, plan to leave, you know. Or, mm. um, what do you think of the film's use of uh, poetry? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, yes, I did because I mean I can't remember much of it. No, there's, I, there's I, a there's a lot. There's quite varying uh, use of poetry. There's there's some uh, kind of twentieth century poets, and there are a lot from hundreds or thousands of years ago. Yes. Um, sort of from China and uh, and Persia and places like that, and but it's all all the poetry is. As you say, I can't remember a single bit of it. I'd like to see the film again for that reason. But um, I remember it all feeling so, you know, kind of perfectly apt yes. and, and expressive. And yes. Like almost these Zen cones that just a line or two it'll show you that just expresses some idea so perfectly. Yes. Also, what I thought was good about it is that he takes, you know, Sufi poetry or poetry from Turkey or Iraq or, you know, mm. Kurdish poets or whatever. Yeah, so he's kind of using you know, the poetry of these various nationalities, you know, to express, you know, what th those peoples in general are undergoing at the moment. And I think it's very beautiful. And, and you know, there is something like, uh, I mean, part of the way that I think the film humanizes these swarms, you know, is by, you know, introducing them in a personal way sometimes, and then kind of rendering what they say both concrete and ineffable. Yeah, that you always have the feeling that there's something more behind it, that there's more, yeah, the mm. kind of, you know, that you're only getting the, the tip of an iceberg of what a person is going through, right? Um, so, you know, and actually the most uh, telling thing for me was when um, they said that it takes something like, I forget whether it was 26 or 31 years, I don't remember. Yeah, for a refugee to to be rehomed, <laughs> right? right. Yes. The the average time that a person who is forced out of their own country due to war, it really takes between I forget whether it was twenty six or thirty one years to reset. Half a lifetime. Yeah, so their lives are ruined. They have no future. And actually, this thing about kind of uh, you know people with no future is an idea that's hammered home in um, all kinds of different ways. Including, I think, I, I thought a very lovely one where, you know, a young teenage girl who's 13 or 14 or maybe 15 in that age range, you know, interviews and then she's asked about what her experience of the camps is. 
And she says, I'm so bored. Mm. You know, my brother is bored. My aunt is bored. My whole family is bored. <laughs> and you get the sense that on the one hand, it's an archetypal teen experience of just being bored with the world. Mm. Right. But also, you know, that she's going to be trapped in that state much longer than, yeah, yeah. Kind of, um, than anybody else. Um, so, um, I think that just returns to the poetry briefly. I think the other thing that it does thinking about it is, um, it by using poetry from hundreds or thousands of years ago, as you say, from these places, um, that it, it, it contextualizes the struggle. There's this ongoing kind of eternal human one. This isn't a new thing. The problems that these people have, um, deep down are, the problems that, that everyone has been struggling for, which is essentially, and it, it all comes down to sort of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and just the, the ability to live a free life. Yes. I think what it also does, that use of poetry, it, it, it makes people human because it's often about feeling. Yeah? It personalizes. But also what it does is it puts people in the context of a culture. These are civilized people. You know, they're not just like some barbarian, nameless yeah. swarm. Yeah, they're people with a culture and the history, you know, and, and, and also their unique and individual part of this culture and this history and often very ancient civilizations. I was going to say, very often actually longer histories than ours in the West. That's right. So, so, so not offering them a lifeline at a time of need seems just really like sinful. You know? mm. I'm not respecting you, mum. <laughs> actually that notion of respect is one that crops up in conversation throughout the film yeah. yes uh, you know with IYY saying uh, you know I respect you and you know and I respect your passport because actually that's also kind of part of the problem yes he swaps you know? passports with the one guy yeah and and uh, yeah and it's just an issue of respect it's, yeah. it's about equality and just saying to someone I see who you are and yeah I, I take I just, those moments are often slightly dangerous because, you know, the thing is that IYY, Weiwei, is, uh, is an artist. And he often does things that you think is a bit maybe touchy-feely that it might be more appropriate to a happening, you know, <laughs> or, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, or a performance art piece than it actually, you know, is, you know, in a camp. And on the other hand, he looks slightly ridiculous, and yet these things work. You know, I expected it to feel more like it was. I don't know what my impression of Weiwei was before the film, but I guess I expected there to feel more like stunts almost. Yes, which is not really my impression. I mean, like I understand that he's a serious person who's he's been through kind of various, been through a persecution of his own. Yes, um, where he was uh, jailed, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I was ultimately what I'm saying is I was pleasantly surprised that his personality was was not sort of the defining feature of the film. No, though though he's always there and he's always present. Yeah, and and actually he's a very calming, you know, uh, uh, wise um, presence that you know uh, is is very almost placidly questioning. Yeah, because mm. he does have a kind of a placid. Uh, persona, yeah. He's always, he's always quiet. He's a very good listener. Yes. It's it's all, it's a it's a trick. It's a it was a secret almost to kind of interviewing really. It's just it's just you shut up and listen and 
and people fill silences. You know, if you just if you just stop asking questions and just wait for them to speak, people will offer you things, and that's and usually that's when they offer the deepest insights mm. into themselves or into what they think. And um, Wei Wei does that. He's just patient and he listens and he wants to hear what people have to say. Yes, I think by doing that, you know, he makes the audience listen to to what people have to mm. say, and you know, he kind of. He does offer them a platform and a voice and a way of getting, you know, these voices heard um, in a way that is very, very beautiful. I think the combination of, you know, the poetry, you know, and then just the the astonishing visual quality of some of those images, the very poetic images, I find, mm. you know, and then and then of a marvelous technical quality. Yes. Right. Well, um, again, we saw it on the 4K. Yes. projector at the Mac, which just made it look astonishing. Yes, I'm a kind of, I'm a convert to, <laughs> to the Mac. Uh, you know, I think kind of, you know, that was very, very beautiful. But it was an endurance, you know, it was a bit of an endurance test. A little bit, but I think that's more because, I, I don't think it was endurance insofar as it felt like torture to watch these things. No, no, it was, it did but not feel. But it, it's because I think because of the lack of a plot, you just never really are sure where it's going to end. That's right. So you kind of, because it could realistically end at so many points. It made me slightly ashamed, you know, because you go through <laughs> Myanmar and, you know, then you go through Qatar and Syria and Afghanistan, you know, and then you think it's over, but it's not over. No. Right? <laughs> then it goes to Turkey and then it goes to, you know, and then you think, oh, it's over. And then, no, it's not over. I mean, the, the film actually migrates its uh, way into Europe. Yeah. You, you end up in Europe. And actually, right at the end, you end up in Mexico. That's right. Uh, talking about the, the kind of the wall. Yeah. So, so. That is a bit of a stunt, Mexico. Where, where, because, and actually, it's shown to be really, it's, um, they're hanging around by the Mexico America yes. border and they're basically showing that it's really porous. Yeah. And it's not as strong as they like to think. And, and th- this bloke on a, um, uh, on a quad bike shows up. And says, yeah, how long are you going to be here? And he says, we're going to be here about 30 minutes. And he says, okay, we well, just want to make sure to stay that side of the fence. Uh, uh, no, no, it's not a fence. It's that, that side of the post. There's no fence. And he just says, because this side's the USA and that side's Mexico. And it shows up to be this kind of stupid... Basically, the idea of a border is kind of stupid yes. right there. But it, but it is also a stunt, because Weiwei then goes back to his crew and says, yeah, we got it. I was mic'd up and everything. Yeah. It's like, we just wanted him to say that stupid thing about there being a border. Or whatever. Yeah. That's a bit of a stunt. Yes. Um... Yes, and I must say, you know, I can understand where the Mexico-U.S. thing is put over, particularly with uh, Trump's uh, um, insistence on and on putting up a fence, mm. right? Um, but on the other hand, it did feel categorically different. Yes, you know, I agree. And all the um, and the tone of it is different to the rest of the film. Yeah, as well. the it feels being out washed place. up in boats and not surviving, and you know, like a woman weighing thirty-six kilos or. You know, like, it's just, it's just not the same, or it doesn't feel the same. I mean, maybe it is the same, and the film doesn't explain why it's the same as well as it should. Uh, but that, that felt like the, the film would have been better without that bit. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the difference is that people coming into the U.S. from Mexico, people wanting to come into the U.S. from Mexico, are not refugees. They're immigrants. There is a difference. Now, a lot of them, very often, it's illegal immigration, which is what yeah, America is so kind of well, I'm, I'm not fired sure. up about. I'm not sure. I kind of, you know, I'd like to complicate that, actually, because, you know, the way that the, the I mean, Mexico, in many ways, is a failed state. You know, there are entire areas that are being gang-run, right. you know, and kind of, you know, so that I think there are reasons for people fleeing. Now, I suppose, 
you know, you could argue that they could travel south, yeah, if they're if they're being persecuted out of their homes and jobs and money, mm. which is happening, you know, um, and you know, but there might be reasons why they can't go south. Um, so I just don't know. Yeah, right? no, we're fair. I mean, I'm just saying that the the the, the there are real. It seems. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and there are kind of. Uh, uh, many reasons why it might very well belong, you know, in this context. But the film didn't explain it well enough, That's and it felt categorically different. And it was very brief. Yeah, spent almost so, no time there. Um, do you think the film suffers for lack of seeking solutions to the problems? No, um, I don't. Though it's kind of, though it might. I mean, there is a tradition in film. And actually, just in Western cultures, you know, um, that somehow people being aware of the problem is the spark to resolve it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure I believe that any longer. Right. Like mm. we know what's happening. Right. So I think it's not enough to know. Uh, I think works of this kind also need to be able to tell people or show people how to help. My first impulse, in, you know, in doing this was, you know, who do I give money to, right, to help, right? So that, yeah, kind of. And I, I actually wish that the film would have offered a kind of a pathway, not necessarily only to give money, but, you know, maybe to help. Um, be, because it does assume that once people know how terrible you know, the situation is, that that's kind of like the beginnings of change. And I suppose you could argue that, you know, you do have to know about something before you can act on it. Um, but on the other hand, I also think that we do know and people are not acting, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That, that it, it, it ends with, um, it ends with uh, an interview with, I think it was a serious first astronaut. Yes. Um, who talks about seeing the Earth from space. I forget exactly what he says, but it's along the lines of seeing how everyone was the same from up that high yes. and how we need to take these racists and send them into space, yes. ultimately. Yes. Which is a, quite, a nice sort of double entendre. Yes. Um, you know, and how it is one world that we're sharing. Um, I think, you know, um, I think theoretically that's all true. And I think the film raises interesting um, problems of the future. You know, because, I mean, the population does keep increasing. Uh, global warming is raising all kinds of explosion, uh, you know, all kinds of um, changes and displacements and so on. So I think we are going to have to find a different way of, you know, living together in this world. Or it's going to be found for us. You know, but next time we might be the Syrians. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the world will carry on, that's for sure. It's just yeah. where the humans... How humans will carry on on it. Yes. So, um, anyway, I enjoyed seeing it very much and I was particularly struck by the beauty of the images. Mm. Worth seeing. Yes, worth seeing, that's for sure. <laughs>